a crash course in overcoming the hard knocks. Every sector of our lives is pretty much pretty much under construction. Family under construction. Career under construction. Relationships under construction. Emotions. I know mine live under construction. Finances under construction. We might as well be under construction together. Welcome back to Under Construction with your girl Tamar Braxton. Look, I know I always start each episode off telling y'all how excited I am about today's show. But for real, I really do enjoy our time together. And I absolutely love sharing information to help us all heal, grow, learn, and just to keep going up and up and up and up. All right, y'all. Today, our blueprint guest is definitely going to take us higher. She is so full of knowledge. And y'all, I'm not just talking about book smarts. Beverly Smith also known as Bevy, has that tried and tested wisdom that when she gives you some advice, you feel it deep in your soul. Y'all ready to get some of that soul food? Because I'm ready to get my soul fed later today on The Blueprint. But first, let's speak some positivity over our lives. Okay, I've been waiting all week for this. So everybody gather around, okay? Get your little pens and paper ready because I need you to write this down, okay? Today's affirmation is, who helped me hold it goes? My courage is stronger than my fear. Now, I feel like I want to stand up and shout like Taffy Dollar because that just blessed me. I'm going to say it again for you. My courage is stronger than my fear. Whew, Lord have mercy. Now, if you recited those words and you truly believe that your courage is stronger than your fear, I stand in agreement with you because this year we ain't playing no games. Let me tell you something. I feel like Simba from the original Lion King. Like, fear? <laughs> oh, fear where? Uh-uh, I ain't over here. Uh-uh. I laugh in the face of fear, okay? Because ain't nobody got time for that. We are claiming victory All victorious in 2021, period. All right, so today on Tamar Takes, I want to share my thoughts on coping with adversity. Now, I know many of us aren't where we want to be, and I'm sure there are at least a handful of us facing some challenges so tough that all we want to do is throw on the towel and find comfort in things like food, our bed, or isolation. And trust me, y'all, I know that feeling all too well. That's why I want to share three things that I do to help me cope with adversity. Y'all right with that? All right, here it goes. The first thing I do is seek my counselor, okay? I call my therapist, I'm telling you, in the middle of a thunderstorm. It it don't matter. Like, it could be a typhoon outside. If I'm going through it inside of my house and inside of my head, I am calling her. Speed dial check, okay? Okay. All right, so the second thing that I do is I really evaluate the situation. Like, is the situation really that bad or did I make most of it up in my head? Am I egging the situation on to be all of that? Okay, because sometimes we can talk ourselves into things that are truly not present, right? So you got to evaluate the situation and make sure it is what it truly is and not something that you're making it out to be. And okay, this is the third thing. And it's one of my favorite things to do nowadays. I know buckle up because I'm about to tell you about to blow your mind. Okay. Determine accountability. 
listen, he is able. He has delivered me (laughs) because accountability used to be something that I struggled with. But now it's something that I take pride in. What did I do to attribute to the mess that I'm in or the situation at hand? Right. So I really do love evaluating myself and finding out what I did wrong so I can apologize for it so I can take myself out of it. Won't he do it? (laughs) I know that sounds a little egotistical, but you got to start somewhere. Okay. And so I found the fun and accountability. So give me that. Okay. You got to find the fun and things so you can really, you know, gravitate to it. All right. Don't judge me. I'm taking accountability. Period. Now, these are just some of my thoughts. If you feel like you need to talk to someone about your challenges, y'all already know I champion therapy. All right. So please don't try to tackle these things alone. I hope my lessons learned can help you on your journey. Y'all, this is Tamar Takes and Coping with Adversity. All right, I'm going to keep it a thousand. Baby, it is all me. All right, now. It's time to tap into that keep it a thou thou inbox and pull out a few questions for your girl, Tay Tay. Let's see what we got today. Question one. I know it's some bullshit. Go ahead. Hey, Tamar. I feel like I need some friend advice because I just feel like I'm being such a fake friend. So here's the deal. One of our friends in our little circle has just been lying about her life for no reason and All the rest of us know that she's lying. I want to address her, but everybody's like, she's not going to take it well. So instead, we just talk about all these crazy lies she'd be conjuring up. And now I feel like we just as bad. So do you have any advice? Like, what should I do? Uh, sis, what you want me to tell you? You, Your feeling is wrong? If you feel like you being fake, then you are being fake. Hello? Because if you are partaking and the laughing and cackling behind your friend back, that's being a fake friend. Let's just start there, okay? And then if you already know that your friend is lying like hell, right? And you not saying nothing to her in her face, then you not her friend. So first of all, you need to reevaluate the kind of friend you are. Are you a real friend or are you just not the type of person who's just not capable of being a friend? Because it don't sound like you a good friend to me. Either way. One way you talking behind the girl back and another way you letting her go ahead on and lie to your face. I mean, it just don't sound like you a good friend. So I think that you have to do some work within first. Okay. And work on your friendship skills. And learn how to become a real friend. And that starts with yourself because you're lying to yourself. First of all, if they talking about one of your other friends in the circle, they talking about you too, period. You are not exempt. So all y'all fake. None of y'all are friends. Ooh, that's a word. Pass around that offering plate. Come on. Tip me. Come on. I mean, that's a word for real. I wish, listen, let me tell you something. I wish my tribe would. This, I can do a sidebar conversation that y'all ready to bring to me. Y'all got to do a sidebar meeting conversation because y'all about to come and pull my coattail up about something. I understand that. But if y'all are having sidebar conversations where y'all making fun of me, y'all not my damn friend. And when I get around y'all, y'all wait to see the lie just so you can talk about me. <laughs> what? You're not no friend. We're the friend. 
So, friend, write yourself the letter, okay? Dear self, I want to be a better friend. How can I be a better friend? In Jesus' name, amen. That's what you need to write. That, that ain't advice. I can't give you advice. Sorry. That's all I got to say about that. Ain't nobody friends. Everybody fake. I hate bitches like that. I'm sorry. Yep. I'm triggered. <laughs> okay. Question number two. Ooh, that sent me. Go ahead. Question number two, honey. Hey, Tay. Girl, I need some help. And I don't even know how to ask this, but <laughs> I'm just going to have to come out and say it. Girl, my edges are running down the block. Okay? <laughs> And I'm trying to make light of it and crack a joke to really keep from crying because this is so embarrassing. I tried so many things and I just don't know what to do. I just want to bring them back, thicken them up, and just keep them. Can you help? You got any suggestions? Thank you, girl. I, okay, I was trying to swallow my edges are running down the block. Because what does what does that mean exactly? Your edges are running. So they left you and they taken off. Okay. This is not a plug, guys. Okay. Because I'll never really talk about my products because I'd be feeling like everybody think I'd be trying to plug stuff. But I really only have products because I want to help. Right. So a couple of years ago, after I had my son, my edges was running down the block. As a matter of fact, it was on the highway and I had gotten off the exit. Okay. We had left each other. We had parted ways. All right. So... For years, you know, it took about a year for my edges to come back. But for years, everybody thought I was edgeless, right? So I decided to come up with some edge cream that is going to grow your hair. It's all essential oils. And yes, you put it on your hair and it does, yes, grow your hair. And that was not a plug. That That is a fact. And I said that to say this. You have to start wearing hairstyles that are going to help the situation and not hurt the situation if you know you do not have edges you cannot wear your hair going back if you know you do not have edges you cannot wear a split part if you know you do not have edges you have to adapt to the bang okay you gotta wear a bang and keep it moving look at it this way you take the stress off your edges don't nobody know it. You can use Glow and Grow, which is, oh my God, you grow, girl. <laughs> okay? And your edges will grow back. If you don't believe me, look at mine's. All right. Rock you a bang yang. It's the winter time. I can understand if it was a summer and the bang yang was sticking to your forehead. Understood. I got it. Understood. But it's the winter. The bang yang keep you warm. The bang yang keep your edges intact. The bang yangs keep you cute embrace it so you can get my growing girl oh my god you grow girl.com get your son and it's inexpensive too see what i'm saying so look y'all better come through with the questions and i hope you're able to benefit from my advice and if you'd like to have your question answered on an upcoming episode of under construction shoot your girl a note at uc with tamar at gmail.com that's the letters uc with tamar at gmail.com y'all know i don't have all the answers but you can count on me to always keep it a thou thou, right? All right. Well, up next is my favorite part of the show. We're going into the blueprint. This, this is the blueprint. Come on, y'all. Let's go. You give the most amazing advice. <laughs> Thank you, the my truth. And I don't know if we started this interview or not, but I just, I don't know if you want everybody to know that about you. Your advice 
is amazing. Thank you. Thank amazing. you, Tamar. I remember that day that I talked to you for the first time since everything had happened this summer. Do you remember what you told me? What did I tell you, girl? <laughs> tell me what I told you. You want me to tell you? You said. Yes. Now, Tamar, you know I love you. I'm so glad you're okay. But give your coochie a break. <laughs> <laughs> that sound about right. Just give it a break. It's okay. Give it a break. And I took that as, I mean, yes, I took that as literal, but I also took it as give yourself time. Yes. The last thing you need is somebody else right now or something else. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It was great. It was great. Yeah. No, it's so crazy, Tamar, because in my book, I talk about, you know, I have a whole chapter devoted to my pursuit of, of um, having someone take care of me. Um, my pursuit of marriage, my pursuit of making someone else in um, control of of completing me. You know, because we grow up with these silly fantasies and these rom-coms. You know, Jerry Maguire, you complete me. No one completes you. You complete yourself. Another person can't do that. But we're taught as women that men are supposed to come in and save us. And that puts a lot of pressure on men. And it also gives, and it, and it relinquishes us of our own responsibility of making our lives be what we want it to be. Yeah. And that's what we got to, you know, that's, so that's the work that I did on myself. So when I talk to people about this kind of stuff, I'm not talking about it as someone who sits on high and is like, girl, I, all, I never, ever, ever needed a man for nothing. I never depended on a man for nothing. No, I was very much a woman who wanted a man to do for her in every single way. And, and I'm definitely talking about financially. Whew. Listen, first of all, I'm going to have to ask you to hold your mule for two seconds because we haven't even introduced you to okay. <laughs> under construction exactly. audience. All right, everybody, we're going to take a pretest before we dive into the blueprint. So if you've been through any of these scenarios, please raise your hand. Okay. The first one is you ignored what a man told you because you thought you could change him. I'm going to ring my bell. Yep, that's me. You realize you're too old to be in the club with teeny boppers. No, they ain't, they ain't me. Okay, you stay with a man way past his expiration because whew, the sex was good. Hallelujah. Sometimes you never know when you're going to get your next, you know, bite. All right. Well, if you raise your hand to any of these questions, you better turn your volume up. Grab you a notebook and get ready for the conversation that will empower you to want to be and do better. Our Blueprint guest is well-versed in all of these scenarios above, and she highlights them in a tell-all, honest, funny, and down-to-earth book called Bevelations. Lessons from a mother, auntie, bestie. Okay, get your hands on that. So good. Beverly Smith, who you probably know as Bevy from the hit Bravo show, Fashion Queens, is here to give us the blueprint to learn, grow, and win. Welcome to Under Construction, Bevy. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Thank you, my love. I'm so happy to be here. I was so excited when I found out you actually wanted me on the show. What? Well, yeah, girl. You know, you can't take these things for granted. You can't just assume... Folks want you on the show, darling. Well, why would you think I wouldn't want to talk to you? 
you just never know. With all this information you got stored on, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then you got this book. We got to break this down to the ground. What you talking about? I'm telling y'all something. This is the moment that you're going to really understand. And I'm talking to my ladies right now. Understand the things that are happening to you that no one else is willing to break down to the ground. And I'm just going to be honest with you. And she is honest. <laughs> she is funny. And she's life-changing. These are things you need to hear. These are the breakdowns. This is... I'm sorry, y'all. This is my son banging on my office. Yes, Logan. No, you can't have cool whip. Praise God. All right. This is what happens when you have kids during a pandemic. That's what happens. <laughs> and I do interviews all day, every day. I hear their kids coming in, the dogs. It is what it is. I'm just thankful we all here and, um, you know, survived the pandemic. I mean, you know, I don't know if you got to that part of my book, but my dad actually died of COVID. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, so every day is a gift and a blessing to me. Yeah. So I guess COVID kind of hit you a little bit different, huh? Yes. COVID hit me very different. I got it really yeah. early too. I had it. So you had it. I had it first, but I didn't give it to my dad because right. by the time I got it, um, they had already closed down all of the rehab and nursing facilities in New York city. So I didn't even see my dad for the last month of his life. Um, and that's a chapter in my book that like really threw me through a loop to write that, to have to write that, you know, my dad was everything to me and to his, all of his kids. He was such a great caregiver and a great provider, which also goes back into what we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, because I grew up, and I talked about this with you on Clubhouse. I grew up in a household and I grew up with a family, an extended family, where everyone's married. And to this point, everyone is married except for me. So I grew up around marriages. And so I, I have a lot of respect for the sanctity of marriage, but I also have a lot of respect for men who are providers. And my yeah. father was a provider. Now, a lot of these schmoes out here, honey, they ain't looking to provide nothing except some hard <laughs> dick and bubble gum. I call it dick and memories. Yes, you. yes. Well, I, you know, in the book, I call it fucks and fumbles. All right. <laughs> fucks and fumbles. F and F. But yeah, so, I mean, in the book, Bevelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie Bevy, I take you guys on a, a really honest ride through my life. You know, how I changed my life the first time around. You know, I was 38 years old and I quit my job at Rolling Stone Magazine where I was the only woman in the um, advertising management area. I was the only black person in that space as well. And I was making, you know, really good six figures. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I left a career that I had built for 20 yeah. years. And I left that right on the side of the road. And I was like, I can do TV. And I did TV. And I've done TV and I do yes, TV. Yes, you have. Yes, you do. You do it all. <laughs> But listen, let me ask you a question. This Rolling Stone job, was this the job that your dad was talking about when he yes. said, oh, so you making all this money. So if they, if they can afford to give you all this money, how much money are you making them? Exactly. How, what happened in your mind at that moment? <laughs> my mind exploded, Tamar, because my dad uh, was a hardworking man, but he came from the Jim Crow South. My dad was yeah. 95 when he died. So, you know, old people from that era... Old black people from that era, 
they were people that came up the hard way. They had blue collar jobs. You know, they were domestic workers. They did, you know, tote that barge, you know, lift that bail kind of work. Yeah. And so at the height of my father's entire work career, he made tops $50,000. And here I am, I run home to tell him I'm making seven times that amount. And I'm thinking he's going to be so proud of me. And he is, he yeah, was yeah. proud of me. Of course. But he brought it, me back together and said, but think about how much money they must be making off of you if they're willing to pay you that much. And that really set things right. And that's good for all of us women, yeah. for all of us people to understand about negotiations and about knowing our worth. Because if they're willing to pay us that much, that means we're probably worth even more. Yeah. You yeah. know? And my yeah, daddy taught me that. Somebody with a, you know, a fifth grade education from, you know, Yamasee, South Carolina. He, he taught me that. So Yeah. 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 Well, he had the school of life. Yes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Going forward, how did that change your negotiation tactics? Now, Bevy, you must got a pretty coin if your daddy told you that early on. Now. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. Because yes. I'm going to take that with me. Yes, take that with you. But you know what it did for me, Tamar? Even what? more than just getting the money, it mm-hmm. made me stop being so beholden to companies. Yeah. So I no longer felt like, oh my God, this is amazing. You're giving me this amount of money. Now when I get a good amount of money, when people pay me my worth, I simply say thank you. Right. <laughs> you don't get no exultations. You don't get no, you know, you don't get no whole bunch of, you know, ring the alarm. We're not doing the yeah. church dance. I say yeah. thank you. Yeah. And that's it. Is that where you started your whole... I'm not settling for less than what I deserve journey. Is that what that started? Well, you know, I think, yeah, I think, well, no, that's not where it started, but that's where it really ramped up because the first time I changed my life, Tamar, was when I was 13 years old, when I decided not to go to the same high school as the popular girls who had bullied me and who had, um, you know, I was the follower and I decided I don't want to be that person. I was like, if I go to the same school as those girls, mm-hmm. that's going to be my my DNA. That's going to be a part of my life. That's going to be a mark that's on me. I have to take yeah. control and I have to change the narrative. So I decided to be, you know, bold and daring. And I went to a school, you know how they sing on Cheers. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Knows your name. Well, yeah. I wanted to go someplace where no one knew my name. Yeah. yeah. And then I could tell folks who I was. So that's another important part of the book that I talk about. You know, you can't let someone tell you who you are. Yeah. You you must set the tone for yourself. You must create your own narrative. And that's something very important. And even for someone like you, Tamar, because you're so public and you have had so many um, public trials and tribulations and everything, people have preconceived notions about you. People think they know you and they may know parts of you, but they don't know the sum total of who Tamar is. And so you, it's up to you to dictate moving forward, how people are going to see you. Growing up, I got bullied too. And I went to another school just so I wouldn't run. Yes. Just so I wouldn't run into those ladies and have, you know, that whole experience because it was horrible for me. I hated it. And it's so funny that you say um, that I've had to live my life and all of my obstacles publicly. I feel like I've had to live my, all of my obstacles publicly since then. Yeah. 
Do you know what I mean? Because when you're bullied, everybody knows about it. It's not a secret. The whole it's almost like the whole school is bullying you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. And I think that that's probably we're not the only ones who have gone through that. And what and that's the reason why the book is called Lessons from a Mother. And you know, mothers what my gay sons call me. Yes. You yes. know. You've heard my children call me mother many times. I have. Same I have. And then You're, auntie is for yeah. all my young girls to call me aunties. By the way, if you over 35, don't fucking come over here with no auntie. <laughs> so I can't call you that. No. I can't call you that? Although it feels right. No, no, no. It's bestie now. I could be your big sister or I could be your bestie. But what I cannot be is your auntie. No, ma'am. Um, no. Take that on somewhere. Oh, y'all know how funny that is? <laughs> no, I'm not doing You it. look like an embryo, but you, that ain't your age, so don't call me no auntie. Right, exactly. <laughs> We're not going to do so that. funny. All those lessons that I learned, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I've been important over the years, and I've been important to people who identify me as those things. And so that's why, you know, the title is that. And, and I'm yeah. here to share my fucks and fumbles publicly. <laughs> You know, I don't know if you read the part about broke but blissful. I wanted to skim through and do my good notes. Okay. But no, I want you to tell me all about it because we got to get back to this fucks and fumbles because I feel like it speaks to my heart. It almost takes the place of Romans in the Bible. Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Tamar, I was a hot girl Uh um, in the heyday of the hip hop golden era, the 90s. Okay. Wasn't everybody a hot girl though back then? No? No. Okay, define your hot girl then. A hot girl was exactly what it is now. Somebody who is in the mix. Somebody who can get into all the parties. Somebody who's escorted to VIP. And Mm -hmm. and you're drinking all the champs. All the ballers know you. All the rappers know you. You know, you get to go on the trips. You getting (laughs) handbags. People paying your rent. You getting flued out. You getting flued out before there was a flued out. Okay. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I don't have this in the book because okay. I didn't want to get too much into my ratchety situation. But, you know, we used to go to D.C. And, you know, we're New Yorkers, so we don't drive. So we would always right. have to fly down. And guys would fly us down. But we would arrive with no luggage. I know. That's right. Because then you got to take me shopping. They'd be like, where's your luggage? Oh, my God. You had me come out so quick. I had to, you know, we got to go to the mall. That's the best line ever. (laughs) (laughs) It still works today. It still works today. Yes. It still works today. So that was, you know, that that, it's so funny because when you look at everything and I don't know if you started to get this Tamar, I'm sure you have because you're over the age of 35 and you know, like social media, you know, once you hit your mid thirties, they're like, grandma, they don't call you old. They'll be like, no, they never say you're old. I have never gotten, oh, bitch, you old. Really? Because that's traditionally never. one of the quickest ways they try and take women down and be like, because I'm, I just know from like, if you watch like a Basketball Wives or something, and those women mm-hmm. will be amazingly good looking and everything. I mean, shit, people call Mary J. Blige grandma and stuff. And I'll be like, what? She got a, <laughs> a better shape than most of y'all and she didn't have to yes. buy it and build it. Okay. But do they call Beyonce old? Or Usher old? Well, Usher, they call Usher. I've seen them call Usher O. But not oh, Beyonce, no. not yet. Not yet, because she's still the queen bee. But you know it's coming any day, because it, there's, we have an ageism in our, in our society. But the, the interesting thing about that is this. If God willing, everybody's going to get older. Everybody's going to get older. I really don't mind. No. 
Of you course know? not. I really don't. Getting older for me, I mean, this has been a pretty shit year, but before the shit, <laughs> getting older for me wasn't so damn bad. No. You know what I'm saying? Like, my life started to happen. Like, my career didn't start to happen until I was 35. So, for me, right. So, that's really when the fun began for me. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. I'm only seven years in. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what, I mean, you don't, you don't see what the issue is. But for yeah. a lot of people... You know, they, they try and label you that. We're speaking with my girl, Bevy Smith, author of Bevelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie Bestie. Y'all, we'll be right back after the break. We're back into the blueprint to continue our conversation with Bevy Smith. I talk about in the book is this. In the club, anybody over 25 really is old, y'all. So, you know, and we already know that it's a lot You're of... 27, you old? 29? The 30 year old? The 30 and old? I you know that so, because huh? you already know. Well, think about it this way. And this is why I, I got off the street at 28. Because <laughs> I'm realizing, this is in the book, I realized that I was looking at the girls like the ghost of Club and Pass. You know the ghost of Christmas Pass? <laughs> the ghost of yes. Club and Pass. <laughs> I was still bad. I was still never having to wait online. I was still having all yeah. my access and all the things. Yeah. But the difference was... The guys, there were young girls that were just the fresh crop coming in. And let me tell you the best thing about a fresh crop of girls. Yeah. Uh, the young, dumb, and full of cum. Yeah. <laughs> best, best thing about them. When you've been outside for too long, Tamar. What happened? You what know happened? too much. You're yeah. going to call them on their stuff, right? So yeah. I was a you know hot girl. And so I knew all the, the guys. And so that meant, well, the girls wanted to hang out with me. And I was also, my name was Big Bev from Uptown. This is before any weight. So my my stature was big before okay. I ever got these big old titties and all of this voluptuousness. I was so all, you was a hot girl like Meg Thee Stallion. Yeah. Was, my stature, the way I carried myself, I uh-huh. always had a lot of gravitas about myself. I always had intellect. I knew how to talk. I knew how to spit okay. game. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I had a stature to me. Okay. So... <laughs> One time, is the the MTV Awards were in New York City, and a very big mogul. Uh oh, New York City, New York. Let me know. And this very <laughs> big rap mogul was in town, and I had met him through Puffy. Are we giving names? No. What if I guess? Not gonna tell you. Oh, okay. Damn. Okay, go ahead. And we were all hanging out, and we went to the Four Seasons Hotel where he was staying. As soon as we get in the room. I go directly to the mini bar because remember, I'm an OG and this is not my first time at the rodeo. So I'm like, let's get the party started. Let's wear the drinks at, you know, he's like, I'm going to send somebody out to get liquor. Well, we're on the 57th street between Park and Madison. There's no liquor yes. stores in that area. No, it's so not. He's like, oh, I'm going to send somebody. I'm like, oh. he's like, because it's too expensive. First of all, that's horrible. Don't ever say something that's too expensive. <laughs> that's and you have a party in your room. Right. Are you a hip hop mogul? Got it. Right. So he's talking. I'm questioning everything he's saying because at this point, I'm too old to be in the room because I know too much. You can't just say anything to me and I'm going to giggle and think it's the truth. Right. So at one point, he says that me and the girls should not go to the MTV Awards and said we should come back to the Four Seasons because he's going to do a cookout. And I say to him, sir, 
The Four Seasons Hotel has no cookout facilities. This is New yeah, York City. Yeah, where's the balcony? They don't have a bar and grill. They ain't got no, you know, they don't have a balcony. There's they, yeah. nothing like that. He's like, how you know so much? I was like, well, because I'm born and raised in New York and, you know, this is my town. And so I know who has a barbecue facility and they don't. <laughs> He's like, but do you know what your family would do if I threw you out the window? And I said, well, I guess my family would be very wealthy, wouldn't they? And then he backed down. And then I left. But that was one of those moments where I was like, yeah. it's time to go. Because I'm not even a pleasant person to be with in these spaces. Because I'm not a giggly girl. Yeah. I'm going to check you on everything you're saying. And, and those men are looking for gullible, happy-to-be-there chicks. I'm not just happy to be there. Like, I'm like... Yeah. Break open the champagne, you know, <laughs> let's, let's have a good time. But what I'm not going to do is just sit here and, and, and with a dry mouth and, and some tap water, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like That's hilarious. So I want young women to know that at a point, if you're blessed, everyone ages out of a situation and that's okay. Because then I went on to be a hottie in another type of situation. Then I became the corporate gala hottie which is where I live now. So now I go to all the black tie galas and all the extravaganzas. You know what I mean? So you graduate from the rapper hot girl. Yes. To the, to the gala diamonds and pearls. Yes. And all, yes. The, the, all the exclusive events, like, you know, Tyler Perry's studio opening, the Met Gala, you get to do all. Oh, I wasn't ignited to that. And I, my feelings was hurt. Yeah. I was hurt. I started out with Tyler Perry and that hurt my feelings. I was like, what, what, what happened? Did you call him? I, no, I didn't call him. Well, I'm, well, I'm going to say, why you invite me to your party? No, like, it should have been, it could have been just a thing of, hey, Tyler, I heard you having your big opening. You know, I want to be there to celebrate you. That was it. And you know, he would have sent you an invitation. Yeah, but that's still asking to go. I don't want to go if I have to ask you. You know what I'm saying? Everybody wants to be considered, right? Yes, yes, yes. Cordially invited okay. is what I call it. So, so if I had an event, right, a huge event like that. I would have invited him, not because he's Tyler Perry, but because what he has added to my life and career. You understand what I'm saying? Had it not been for Tyler Perry and all of the lessons that he taught me, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. He taught me some very valuable lessons. So, of course, I would want him to be a part. What? Help me understand. (laughs) What's the one-way street? Dear Tyler Perry, please invite Tamar to the next event. Yeah, I'm not going to get crunk on nobody. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> I promise. So let me ask you a question. So how do you deal with reputation? If you are the girl who are, are, is known to check everybody and, you know, make sure you're not playing me or playing the situation, how do you navigate that? Okay, so here's the real, the real questions that we have to be asking ourselves. Yes. How do we want to be perceived? Come In my on, book, son. I talk about three steps that you should be taking. You should be analyzing yourself to figure out who are you at your core. So at my core, I'm a very sensitive, quiet, studious, bookish girl named Little Brown Bevy. That's who mm-hmm. I am at my core. And for a long time, she was hidden away. She, we tucked her away at the age of 13, remember? Because yeah. I didn't want to be bullied. Yeah. And then MC Bev Ski came along. That was my <laughs> high school era. And then Big Bet from Uptown came along in my early 20s when I started clubbing. You know what I mean? But those girls, you couldn't find a shred of Lulu Brown Bevy in them because they protected yeah. Lulu Brown Bevy. And they put her in a corner and she was never to be seen from, heard from again. Problem with that is 
that Lulu Brown Bevy is the best of me. Lulu mm-hmm. Brown Bevy is the compassionate one. She is the one who's a good listener. She is the one who wants to help people and is um, a really just a compassionate person. So why would you throw her away? So then I, so I found out who I was at my core. And then I said, but how are you being perceived? Now, some mm. people would call me bougie based on, you know, all the things I've done in my career and in my life and all the things and the things. And I do do a lot of fancy, fabulous things. Very A-list, yes. you know, the things. Yes. Right? But then some people would call me ratchet. Okay? As you can see from this podcast. So then... <laughs> But the truth is, you know, it lies somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah. But nowhere in those descriptors was Little Brown Bevy. So I needed to make sure that people understood that I wasn't just, I'm not having it. What happened? Uh, or I wasn't just, you know, I'm sitting front row of the fashion show, darling. And, you know, I, I, I know Tom Ford, darling. And, you know, Gucci, I was Gucci's, um, you know, guest at the Met Gala, darling. I need to make sure people didn't just know those things about me. Yes. And so I had to bring Little Brown Bevy up. And so when it comes down to reputation, you have to decide how you want to be perceived. And if the perception that is mostly what's going around in the streets or in the corporate arena or anywhere that you um, value, mm-hmm. if everyone's perception of you is not how you see yourself, then you have to do some work on yourself so that the folks will perceive you how you would like to be perceived. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's not just in your niff not on the computer talking greasy to you. But I'm saying that if it's hindering you from getting jobs or if it's hindering you from the love life that you want to accomplish, any of those things. then Getting the respect that you deserve in the workplace, all of that. Yeah. So then we have to take a step back and we have to look at ourselves and say, well, then how can I fix that perception of me? Because if it's a bunch of people having the same perception then we have a problem. We have a perception issue. Yeah. And we got, but, but you see, that's why I can't do reality television anymore. Right. Because, because of the character. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? And most of the situations I found myself defending my character in real life, you know, and it got old and played out just like the girl who was too old for the party. Yes. (laughs) That was little Tay Tay who was too old for reality television and too old for the the ratchet and too old for the, too old. I, I, who has time? Who, who talks like that still? But Tamar, you know what though? But let's be honest about it though, right? Mm-hmm. We can still fall into these tropes that we've created because one, they're very comfortable. And two, let's mm-hmm. be honest, they, we've been successful at and, being uh, yeah, those people. Yeah. So it's very easy it. to want to fall back into those tropes. And so that's the reason why I keep Big Bet from Uptown around. Because I do need her at times. I do need her assertiveness. I do need her bravado at certain times. But she's not the one who shows up all day, every day. That's not going to happen. So sometimes you might need a little, you know, you might need some of that. But she should not be the lead in, in, the, no. in the show anymore. She has yeah, to she be has way to down on the cool sheet. in a long time. First of all, I just want everybody to know that Bevy and I share a very dear friend. His name is Wardell. He, he, shot, your, he shot the cover of your book, yes, right? Yes, he shot the cover of my book. He shot the cover of this podcast. Yes. Okay. So we were talking about that one day, and he was like, I don't understand why people don't get to meet this Tamar. <laughs> And we've been friends since I was about 18. I'm 43 now. 
You know, he was like the Tamar that I know. Why can't we all know this Tamar, the amazing Tamar, the fun Tamar? She's still funny, but she's intelligent. She's not ghetto Tamar. She really has good ideas and great advice. I, I don't understand that. And I'm like, well, it's my fault. Yeah, it's my fault because I allowed that to go on for so long because it worked for you it worked for me and and i could use the excuse that oh this was my job and i have a contract and to a certain extent yes because everybody knows what that situation (laughs) was right but like my mom says people can't do any more to you than what you allow your mother is incredibly right and that goes with everything from career to relationships you know yeah for me, I had to own everything that I did in, in my relationship. The last guy that, you know, I thought I was going to marry, I had to own my part in it. And when it initially, when it, when it um, ended, I blamed him for everything. And yes. um, we got to go back. We're not just going to like, you know, trickle and touch. No, 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 no. We have to talk about this man that you thought you were going to marry. The person that finally was going to be your husband after all of this time what was so amazing about him and where do you think you fucked up at well now here's the interesting thing he was Uh a great guy he just was not the guy for me for you so for me hope springs eternal because i don't feel like i've met the guy who got away you know they'd be like the one that got away oh my gosh the one that i don't think i met the person who got away this guy don't no I thought you was going to marry him. You don't. Man, but how many people marry folks that they, they, that's not the one? Me. <laughs> See? <laughs> Most people, if, if that yeah, wasn't the case, the divorce rate wouldn't be so damn high. That's true. That's uh, true. We, we are programmed to get married and, and for that to be a pursuit of happiness. Yeah. Marriage. So, yeah, of course I was going to marry him. Because I thought that once we got married and then he took care of me, then I would be happy. But the great thing about him was that he was always very clear. So at the time, I had my big fancy fashion career and he Mm -hmm. had a great career in the music industry. And so together, Mm -hmm. we had such a great sexy life. You know what I mean? He would take me to the music events. I would take him to the fashion events. It was like very, very. It was that. Yes. It was that. that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was a look. It was a good look. Yeah. And on all those things. But, you know, what wasn't great is that I wasn't good with who I was. I didn't even know who I was at all. I had very odd preconceived notions about what his responsibilities toward me were. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, listen, I'm not going to knock nobody's hustle with calling men daddy and all that. But, you know... A dad is a dad, a daddy is a daddy, a father is a father, and your man and your lover, I don't know if they can really kind of take the place of what you've been missing. I never felt the need to call a man daddy because I had such an amazing dad. Yeah. But, you know, I- You mean you never called him daddy? Daddy? No. Never called him? No. Okay. I'm not into that. Okay, got it. That that feels like besmirching Smitty's name. <laughs> like we're not going besmirch Smitty's name. We're yeah, not going to yeah. do that. Okay. Yeah, let let okay. Smitty, you know, remain on his throne. He's the only daddy in the the space. I but got you it. know, <laughs> but you know, you make these mistakes, right? And you and you yeah. think that these people, it's their job. I used to tell them, it's your job to make me happy, which is the oddest thing to say to someone. Isn't it the oddest thing? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why do we feel like that? 
Because we've been you programmed know? to feel like that. Because the deal that society has taught us that is supposed to be carved out is that we are women. And if we submit and if we do what we're supposed to do, then the man is supposed to come along and hold up his end of the bargain. And the man's end of the bargain is he's supposed to take care of us and fulfill all of our needs. He's supposed to complete us. So that is what society has taught us. Whereas I believe now, you know, what I want from a gentleman is love and companionship. And I want someone who can hold his own. I have no money for you, sir. If you're listening to this. I have <laughs> You know, oh, Jesus. yeah, because I got a lot of girlfriends that also fall into the trap of being with guys who will take out your trash and pick you up from the airport. See, all of that sounds like a handyman and a driver. It's like an assistant, don't that it? That sounds like an assistant. I don't... Yeah, you pay them and they take out your trash. Yeah. And they make sure things in the house is taken care of. Yeah, they have, make sure gas is in your car. Make sure your car is washed. Shit like that. Yeah, you are not my man. You cannot be my man. If, no. if that's what you're, that's not my, my prerequisites for... Um, what a good man looks like. Now, I, I do, yes. I, but you know, in the book, I talk about Malibu Bevy. And Malibu Bevy has an amazing lover, Tamar, because I don't even know about marriage anymore. I don't, I don't really see the need for it as a grown-up woman. And, you know, I certainly don't want to wear a white, poofy dress. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> but my lover is amazing. You know, he has great swimmer's build. He has yeah. a very large penis. Um, he is him. kind. He is compassionate. <laughs> he has a, he's a very, very gifted, talented person at whatever it is that he does for a living. So he loves okay. what he does. So right. that means he's fulfilled in that way. Yeah. So we, he, I'm not coming home to hear about him griping about his job 24 fucking seven. I don't want to hear that because yeah. now we too grown. Yeah. And that's the other thing about it. This, this, what I'm saying does not apply, does not work for someone Who's 20 something, 20 something. Yeah. You, should, you can still date potential at 20 something. Yeah. I would say Tamar for you, you know, you're in your forties, early forties, albeit, but still you're in your forties, you know, doesn't mean that you can't be with a guy who's working towards something, but he has had to have had some success in something else. I had that. Somebody rolled their eyes at me just now. <laughs> I hate when I do that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I did. And I can honestly take accountability. Mm. I really did fuck it up because I thought that he had to be my all in all. I thought that he had to play every role yes. that was in my life that was missing. No, I was already supposed to come to the table fulfilled. Yeah. I know, I know that he had to have met me and had to be like, oh my God, this is the first time that I have met a beautiful, successful woman. Oh my God, she has to be the one because she has to be fulfilled in her life. Right. And I already know I'm fulfilled, but eh, I wasn't. <laughs> and you put a lot a of pressure on the relationship. On him and the relationship. Yes. Yes. I did. I mean, I, did. I used to throw tantrums with old boy. Oh, yeah. I used to cry. He would go out on business trips. I would be hysterical. Now, granted, <laughs> for me, he did some things that in that era, I felt like he was making me jealous. Well, now here's the thing, ladies. No one can make you jealous. Come on. No one can make you jealous. Because the real talk of it is now that if I encountered someone who made me feel like I could not trust him, well, then we always know that we have options. And the option is we let a gentleman know that this doesn't feel right for me. 
Um, I'm mm-hmm. uncomfortable with the way we're handling this situation. And if things don't change, then we need to leave. There's no yeah. reason to stay around with the histrionics, throwing stuff, cursing people out in public, you know, all the drama. There's no need for that. No, it's not. You know, if you're not getting what you want, then you should leave. Um, but, you know, again, where we see things on TV, we see things in movies, we see things in real life around us. Yeah. Dysfunctional relationships where people fuss and fight and hoop and holler all day long. And, you know, I said a long time ago that I didn't want a relationship where I would ever feel the need to call my man the N-word and he would ever have the need to call me the B-word. Like, that Mm -hmm. has no place in my life. I don't want, I never want that kind of dynamic. That's not the kind of love I want. The kind of love I want, Malibu Bevy is that well-hung, swimmer's bill man. He um, washes my hair on Sundays. Yeah. Um, he gives me my Miss braids. We make a, a lovely <laughs> early dinner on our deck. Tamar, you know we got a deck that has a kitchen a on it. Y'all sound like y'all have a very functional relationship. Is that what happens when you get a little bit older? You want total function? Like, because I'd like a little bit of dysfunction for you excitement. For what? No. Why? No. I like a little bit of roughness. Praise God. Hallelujah. I like a little bit. Roughness in what way? Why? I mean, you want a guy that can like, you know, perhaps you want a guy that can have sex with you in a rough kind of capacity, or perhaps you want a guy who can um, pr- um, protect you if you're ever out and someone gets drunk and unruly, but you certainly don't need somebody that y'all getting into it at home and having words with each other. We want to be oh. adults and have a nice, tame conversation about it. I, I do, I, but I, I would like to have... 80-20. Let me just tell you, I just think it's a, I hope this doesn't come off wrong, right? But I, I like to have a little bit of thugism. Just a little bit of, I better not step across that line. That's. Right, but here's the thing. What about this? What about this? What about, you're not going to cross the line because you respect him. Because see, I believe at this part in my life that respect is even more valuable than just the love component. Because if you respect someone, think about the people in your life that you really respect and how you are very careful with the way you handle them. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're very careful with the people that you truly respect. You are very, very careful about the way you handle them. And that's the way you should be towards your mate. Very careful with the way you handle them. You're not going to just say stuff breezy out your mouth because you know, you got upset. Like, you know, I have my sister and I, we're best friends and we also work together. And, you know, we pace ourselves when we feel like we might be getting a little greasy out the mouth. We know mm-hmm. to end the call. <laughs> Thank you very much. Chat with you later. Cause we respect each other. We love yeah. each other for sure. But the yeah. respect thing is really, really big. The last um, lover that I just had last fall, he liked a little bit of the drama. A little bit? That's what I'm saying, a little bit. But, but I can't date you because I don't have room in my life for drama because I'm trying you to- You can't do a little bit of that just just for the makeup sex because it's amazing. Probably that was ordained by the Holy Ghost. We were having great sex without having to fuss and- Yeah, of course, but that little argument- and then, oh, I'm telling you, that's like the tea. But it doesn't cookies. mean you don't argue, but I'm saying you don't get greasy with each other. That's the part. Like, okay. you don't want to say things to each other that might pierce 
So it ain't no shut the fuck up. No, you shut the fuck up. No, you shut the fuck up. Come I here. don't want to say it to him. <laughs> and I damn sure I would be taken aback if someone said that to me. Because people don't talk to me like that in my life. And I don't know why they would. Shut the fuck up. Why would you say that to me? It's just a little drama. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> no. It's just a little. I mean, it's disrespectful. Right. But but is, is choking during sex disrespectful? No, it's I mean, not. It's, it's not as long as you have a safe word. That's the safe word. Shut the fuck up. Now come here. Now come here is the safe word. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. But I also, I don't like bad boys. I like um, guys that fit more into my cerebral life now. You know what I mean? Like Really? Yeah, because I want to I wanna chill. I want to, you know, I read a lot. I'm quiet yeah. in my home. So I don't need yeah. a whole bunch of riggedy rack and... You want to be rich on the beach, honey, with your book and champagne? I got it. I Look, I overstand. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting here talking to you right now. My flute is Baccarat. My champagne is yes. we call vintage, um, yes. rosé. And that's how I live in my home. So we. Yes. So also, too, I got too much breakable, expensive shit up in here. I don't want no fussing and fighting. No nah, I don't like that now. We ain't about to throw my stuff because I'm break all my shit. <laughs> No, we ain't about to do that's when you 20 something, right? Yeah. That's when you Well you no, know. that's a lot of people still going through it. And and that's just about, you know, what you know, your love languages. You find out what yeah. the, the stuff that, you know, turns you on or that you gotta yeah. go towards. Now for me, my bad thing is, um, and I think I finally cured myself of a Tamar. Um, I you know how like some girls like thugs? Yeah. No, my idea of a thug is very successful men with huge egos. That's a thug like for that? me. I like, like a man that? that is strong and a bit of an asshole. I get yeah, that. I love a successful man. And most successful men. But when he's an asshole, he's a little bit of an asshole to you too, though. See? Ding, da, ding, ding. That's the problem. But that's equivalent to shut the fuck up, though. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm just saying. It is. No, no. you know what? My last, the, one of the last assholes that I dealt with, um, he was such an asshole, but we used to have great sex. Um, <laughs> he was such an asshole and he did so well for himself so it was like you know yeah. you're trying to keep it together because you're like well, we could do nice things together because he makes great money and I make great money and we could like yeah. merge our great money together and it could be really awesome Um, but he was <laughs> an asshole and he never talked to me greasy but he definitely spoke to me in a commanding way and he would attempt to belittle me. And that's something that we as ladies have to be on the lookout for when men try to belittle you. Yeah. yeah. You and especially if you're a successful woman, you will run into men that will, you know, quietly try and chip away at your self-esteem with a little bit of belittling. You know, See, I, but I, that's I, what the assholes do. Yes. The thugs big you up. You know what I'm saying? The, the thugs excited that you're a ghetto superstar. They here for it. You know what I'm saying? They, <laughs> they are here for it. Oh, they want you to shit on every bitch out here. Period. Okay. <laughs> but the assholes, they make you like double think everything that you're doing. Am I successful enough? Am I am I pretty enough? Is this dress yeah expensive enough? Is it going to make him? Compliment me. What can I do to become like? I can't live like that. That's a lot of thought. I had an asshole before. That's a lot of work. You like the work, then? Huh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm off that. 
I'm off the, I don't. Oh, you used to. Oh, yeah, that's a young woman thing, too. I can't do that. That they was a young woman thing for me. That that was like. Really? Two, that was two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> two days ago, I was dating an asshole. It wasn't literally two days ago, but you know what I mean? Like, that was something that I'm still working through. And I got to say, now that it's COVID, I haven't really been dating, so it'll be interesting to see what happens when I go back out into the dating world if I've really been cured of the asshole-itis. Or if I'll just go right back into it and be like, yeah. Assholes come with like insanely um, successful men. You like billionaire men. Well, yeah. I've never dated a billionaire, but I've dated you like, men. You like when their nickname is Bill. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And I like a grown man too. I don't like younger men. Yeah. I like young. You I don't. don't. Like no. You've n- have you ever dated a younger guy? Oh, yeah. But How did that work? It was great. Once I broke up with old boys who I thought I was going to marry, I was 33. And I dated young men right after that. Like, it was a slew of them. But they all approached me. They all came after me. And I was dating, you know. If you're 33 and you're dating a 27-year-old, that's like, oh, my God, he's so much younger. Now, of course, you know, a a five-year difference or what have you is nothing. An eight-year difference is really nothing. But back then, it was, like, you know, huge. Because I'm already fully in my career, and you're just kind of, like, basically barely out of college or what have you, right? Yeah. It was interesting, but I liked it. I liked it. Certainly they were gracious and kind and they definitely make you feel great. It's like being in Harlem. Men are going to make you feel good in Harlem. You want to walk down the street, they're going to be like, damn, baby, you look good. Oh, I can't wait to see you without that mask. I already know. I can tell by them eyes that you're sexy. And you know what? You'd be like, yes, thank you. The yeah. pandemic was really awesome about that, like walking through the streets of Harlem and still getting the love. I don't mind. Like, I don't mind a nice cat call every now and again. <laughs> you like a little cat call? Just a little bit, you know. Nothing. Okay. That, I don't want you grabbing me, but I don't mind a good old hey, how you doing? What's your name? I don't mind. It's come here, yo, yo, shorty, come here, shorty, shorty. Where you going, shorty? Come here. I will say I don't like a come here. <laughs> You walking over there? You got a six inch heel and a skin tight jean and your nipples hard and you walking right on over there. Hey, how you doing? (laughs) Yo, I could have been talking to Bestie Bev for a whole nother hour. I mean, I've enjoyed myself so much. As a matter of fact, we are going to talk to her for a whole nother hour. I think half of this show, we're going to put on next week's show because there's so many affirmations, so many gems that I have personally snagged. We got to continue this conversation. So if you enjoyed this, just wait till next week when she dives into her career and how she didn't allow fear to keep her from living the life she knew she deserved. I mean, what else can I say? It's going to be amazing next week. Don't forget to tune in. So until then, you can share your journey with me at ucwithtamar at gmail.com. That's the letters ucwithtamar at gmail.com. And as always, you know I love you. I mean it because we're all under construction together. Bye. Under Construction is a production of Mosauce, a Stitcher brand. It's produced by Angel Lavis. Our recording engineer and sound designer is Rashad Smith. Our executive producer is T-Square. Music provided by Radio and Audio Everywhere Company.